Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing Retail Leaders, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. You'll hear from the leaders who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to anticipate the future, recognize macro trends, and champion innovation in their organizations. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is exciting. We're opening up a brand new time slot for Game Changers Radio and a brand new series. We've never had a series focused on retail before. So let's get started. Let's start this show. Let's start this series. Let's start this time slot with a bang. Let's see what the quote on the street is today. The buzz is a quote I found from Ray Hartjen, H-A-R-T-J-E-N. He's a director, marketing and corporate communications at a company called Retail Next. That's all one word. And here's the quote. Shoppers are dictating the future of retail. Let's just let that sink in for a moment. We're going to be talking about it. So let's see what's happening in retail. We're going to look back in history a little bit. On January 9th, 2007, that was how many years ago? 11 years ago. Wow, Steve Jobs, perhaps history's most radical thinker and doer, some people say, uttered eight words in a keynote address. And here are the eight words. Today, Apple is going to reinvent the phone. Let's let that sink in. And overnight, we all know what happened. The iPhone debuted. It conquered. It flipped the concept of traditional retailing on its head. So where are we today? We're mid-2018. We're at the intersection where newly emerging next-gen tech-armed consumers. That's right. The consumers are savvy. They are multi-channel. They've got their phones and their tablets and whatever else they want. They're online. They're in stores. They're in malls. Maybe not. Maybe drones are delivering everything to them. They have to meet up with traditional legacy brick and mortars. Yes, we still have retail stores. We still have shopping malls. We still have physical sites where retail is trying to survive and thrive. So how are the retailers going to survive? Let's start with that one. They've got to perfect their omni-channel strategy and model. I am very honored to have three experts in this field here with me today. They're all very busy people, top of their game. I call them A-listers, and they're taking time to be with us to launch this series. And a quick shout-out to Stephen Sparrow at SAP for sponsoring this series and putting it together. So in a moment, I'll be introducing you to Robin Lewis. He is the founder and CEO of The Robin Report, and we'll find out what he does. Joining him is Shay Jensen. She is a Senior Vice President of Customer Experience at Nordstrom. Very proud to have Nordstrom on the panel today. And Shay, and rounding out the panel is a gentleman who's been on Game Changers Radio with me before on some other of our series. It's Matt Lakaitis, and he's a Senior VP and General Manager of SAP's Consumer Industries Practice in North America. That's a long title, Matt. Must be a very big business card. I've had a business card in years. It's all digital. So let's circle around the table to Rob. Robin Lewis at the Robin Report, and Robin has sent us a fascinating quote from a gentleman named Lewis Burwell Chesty Puller. He, I'm going to give you a little background here. General Lewis Burwell, a.k.a. Chesty, Puller's division was surrounded by North Koreans in the Korean War. He said to his troops who were scared to death, quote, we're surrounded. That's great because we can now shoot in any direction. And that's the quote. Puller lived from 1898 to 1971. He was a U.S. Marine Corps Lieutenant General and the most decorated Marine in American history. Wow. Robin Lewis, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? Thanks, Bonnie. Great. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you so much for asking. Talk to me about this quote. It's very military. It's very provocative. How does this relate to our topic, Robin? 
Well, I, I have been carrying this around with me for some time, and it, it really directly um, relates. When I first heard it, I said, boy, this is like a lightning bolt lesson in, in leadership. Uh, you know, he, Chastity could have been the Marine Corps equivalent of uh, George Patton. Anyway, he, he was such a great leader. As you said, he was surrounded. His division was surrounded. So he pulls all of his battalion commanders together, and he says, yeah, great. Now we can shoot in any direction. The point here is that they knew this wasn't dark humor. They, they, they knew that he was a Marine's Marine. And the quote meant two things to them. And, and I'm going to get to what it means to our theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one thing it meant is my Marines will never surrender. We're going to fight to the yep. end. But two and more important, <clears throat> he was such a great leader that he inspired them to believe that he, he, he would find a way out of that valley of death, so to speak. And, and sure enough, they breached through a weak spot and went on to fight another day. But it, jumping back to our topic, mm-hmm. you talk about the fear of being surrounded and total annihilation. <clears throat> our old world traditional retailers feel surrounded by complex technology challenges, surrounded by a consumer who wants and demands new and different. They don't want the, what their fathers and mothers wanted. And they're surrounded by technology and these new tech-driven upstart brands and shops. So great leaders are what we need more than ever in this industry today. Uh, essentially do what Chessie did. Hey, guys, we're, gonna, we're not going to back down. We're going to turn these challenges into uh, great opportunities. And I must tell you, though, I fear that we don't have a lot of those chesty pulls mm-hmm. out there. Robin, do you think that retailers today, given our theme today about survival and and surviving and thriving, actually, do you think that everybody in the retail world realizes this? Do you think that small mom and pops are realizing the assault on retail, on brick and mortar, that the customer really is sophisticated, connected, digitally experienced? Do you think that the smaller retail stores think there's anything different than they have since they started their little store? Or do you think just the the big behemoth stores, I'll call them the big box stores, the big department stores, and I know those are shrinking too, uh, do you think that they're the only ones who are aware of of we're surrounded? Just talk to me for a second, please. No, I think think ironically and kind of refreshing, I kind of call it back to the future because the moms and the pops are, are, are... are going to be the most important retailers going forward. Really? Yes. The big giants are the ones that are scared to death. Uh, these, the new young consumer <clears throat> is not interested in going to a big building full of stuff. They're, mm. they're seeking smaller, intimate, personalized uh, little boutiques and shops where they can find interesting, special things and where the moms and the pops treat them, you know, with a human touch. So the, the independent small retailers are going to survive in the future. Um, what, 
Wow. I wasn't expecting easier. that, Robin. I'm, I'm glad I asked because that certainly redirected my thoughts on this. Thank you for the great overview. And we're going to turn to Shay now and talk to her about her quote. And Robin, there's a lot more coming from you. And in a few minutes, I'll ask you about the Robin report. So get ready. So here we are. And I'm going to talk to Shay Jensen, Senior VP of Customer Experience at Nordstrom. And Shay has sent us a quote from... Lee Alexander McQueen, you may know him in popular culture as Alexander McQueen, 1969 to 2010, a British fashion designer and couturier. He is known for having worked as the chief designer at Givenchy from 96 to 2001 and founding his own Alexander McQueen label. He received four British Designer of the Year awards and the CFDA's International Designer of the Year award in 2003. And we'll just stop there. The quote is, you can only go forward by making mistakes. Shay Jensen, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Talk to me about this quote. I love it. What does it mean for our topic today? Yeah, I think uh, the opening quotes that you shared uh, were, were great introductions. You know, shoppers dictating the future of retail and today reinventing essentially tomorrow, the quote from Steve Jobs. And what I love about this quote is it alludes to the pace of change and the rapid changing expectations of customers. And I think more than anything, it's important uh, for us as retailers to consider the value of speed versus precision or perfection. Um, I think uh, our approach at Nordstrom has been very much that uh, we want to work with our customers and get more things out in front of our customers and learn with our customers. Uh, rather than making assumptions about what they want, when they want, and how they want it. And so um, with that in mind, we have to acknowledge that not everything's going to be perfect, and we're going to learn, and sometimes we have to make mistakes to learn, but making those mistakes actually allows us to progress forward. Very positive attitude. I appreciate that. (laughs) Do you agree with what Robin said, that you work for a huge huge store, huge department store with a great reputation, Nordstrom's, it's everywhere. I used to shop Nordstrom when I was in New York. I'm trying to figure out where it is because I'm in Durham, North Carolina now, so I have to find you. But uh, do you agree that that the small stores are going to be the ones that survive and thrive? And, And how do you see that against the big stores like you? You know, I think uh, what we realize is customers just have more and more choice today. And I think mm-hmm. depending on what they need and when they need it, um, the type of choice that they have is going to dictate where they're going to choose to shop, whether that's a small store or a store that's conveniently located to them, whether that's a store that has the product they want or a store that <clears throat> maybe has to order it from somewhere else. So I think hard to predict who's the survivor and who isn't, but, uh, you know, what we do acknowledge is that there's more and more choice for customers today. Thank you, and that is a reality check. You know, Shay, I, I think one of the things with storefronts or, or uh, brick and mortar, as we call them, is that the people on the floor, the the clerks, the, the uh, customer service people, the department people who help you or show you something or sign you up for something, they don't realize they are the face of that brand at that moment in time. It still boggles me that even the, the phone people at customer service, they don't realize that they represent the brand. Am I right, Jay? They are that store embodied in one voice or one person when you talk to them or when you see them in person. What do you think? Yeah, I think, you know, for, I I can speak for my experience at Nordstrom. We're, you know, 30 to 45,000 salespeople strong, depending on, uh, you know, seasonality of our business. And we actually believe 
that our brand comes to life through our people. So perhaps that's an acknowledgement of what you're asking. Um, mm-hmm. But our our traditional uh, service has has largely been measured based off the experience a customer has when they walk in to one of our stores, and our salesperson delivers a great experience to our customers. Now times are changing, and yes. customers expect personalization no matter where they're shopping. But we certainly believe that our people are one of our greatest assets. And, and I think that's rooted in the idea that we understand our brand comes to life through them. Exactly what I was looking for. Thank you, Shay. Thank you for validating that. I have, I have stories you don't want to know. Okay. I think we all do. And now we get to our third panelist, Matt Lakaitis at SAP, Consumer Industries Practice in North America. And Matt has sent us a quote from Invictus. Let me read a little background here. Invictus is a short Victorian poem by the English poet William Ernest Henley, 1849 to 1903. It was written in 1875, published in 1888 in his first volume of poems, Book of Verses, in the section Life and Death Echoes. Originally, the poem had no title. Interesting. So I'm going to read, I have the whole poem here. Matt, do you want me to read the whole poem or just the line you picked? What's your pleasure? Uh, why don't you start with the line uh, I picked, and then I'll explain why I chose that specific line in the poem. Perfect. Thank you. And the line is, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. Matt, that's a beautiful quote. I don't know who the menace is, but I love it. Talk to me. <laughs> well, I think we've uh, we've already been talking a little bit about the menace, uh, which is out there. But it's interesting, you know, the background on this poem uh, it's it's been a famous poem almost since it's been written and published, but it also took on a little bit of a resurgence um, when the movie Invictus came out about Nelson Mandela, and this was read at the end when he's looking out and reflecting on his time in the prison in Robben Island. But the reason I chose this line is that most people actually, when they think of Invictus, think of the ending of the of the poem, which is in the next uh, stanza. And that ending, the last two lines are, I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul. Yes. So that's usually the most quoted lines from this poem. But, and the reason I chose this is that this is the key. This is the key, I think, to becoming the master of your fate and the captain of your soul. I mean, everybody would want to be the master of their own fate and the captain of their soul. But this line, speaking of the menace of the years, which means all the things that are to come, Uh, finds and shall find me unafraid. And it's about all the things you need to do to prepare yourself mentally and to prepare yourself uh, from a professional uh, perspective in the situation we're discussing to be able to be confident to prepare for whatever's coming in the future. And with all the change that we're talking about in retail and with brands and the impact of consumers changing taste on brands, it's really, really important for people to understand who they are and have that confidence and be able to affect those changes. Um, there's a lot of uh, leading brands out there. I'm very privileged to work with a lot of great brands and great companies, and I see tremendous examples of this leadership that Robin alluded to and the customer experience that Shay alluded to every day, and I firmly believe that the key to achieving those outcomes is really all about confidence and optimism and delivering that experience for customers, and I think this quote best represents that. Thank you very much. I feel so much more educated having read the poem. May I read the whole poem just quickly, Matt? Is that all right with you? Sure. That'd be great. Yeah. 
Out of, out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. How did I do, Matt? You did great, and uh, <laughs> you did probably better in your mind than he did when he wrote it, because he was lying in a hospital bed. Uh, and had just had one of his legs amputated and was facing life going forward. He wasn't oh. sure at that point whether the other leg was going to be amputated, but he, he steeled himself his resolve, and that's the darkness that he alluded to, and, and the way he got himself out of that darkness is all about that optimism and confidence. So great job, Bonnie. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. At least I'm not singing it. At least I'm not singing it, right, Robin? Robin, <laughs> I'm going around the table to you, and I'm going to ask you a couple of personal questions. I warned you on our prep call, Robin Lewis. Number one, I want to know where you're calling from. Number two, what is your favorite drink in the whole wide world that powers you and keeps you going? And number three, <laughs> tell us just briefly, what is the Robin Report for those of us who are uninitiated well, in the world of retail? Yeah. Go ahead. First of all, I'm in New York. Um, and you, you know, probably hear sirens. Um, the, the Robin Report is a strategic uh, report uh, that comes out daily, and we we study uh, the strategic positioning of retailers and brands, and we take major events of the day, and we try to put them into some perspective that will give the readers. Uh, uh, and aha, I did not know that. Something, strategic insights in, in terms of what these companies are doing and how they're moving forward. And, you know, we've written several articles about Nordstrom, uh, not, to, to, you know, not to give them a little commercial here, but uh, they are moving in the right direction, moving very quickly. So um, we, we cover them all. And um, mm-hmm. so, you know, that's... That's kind of what the Robin Report is, and it's it's uh, we have about a thirty thousand circulation, and um, it's doing very well. Thank you very much. Good to know. And now, what's your favorite drink? What powers you? Well, th- this is there's a funny little story here. Uh, my daughter, <clears throat> when in first grade, um, uh, the teacher asked the kids to to uh, make a drawing of their father's favorite hobby. Uh, or what they most you know like to do when they're not working. So some kids drew uh, golf balls or golf clubs. Others drew tennis racket. Another a bicycle. You get the idea. Mm-hmm. Well, my little uh, sweet little darling uh, draws a martini glass with an olive in it. <laughs> <laughs> so Seriously. <laughs> Seriously, that's what her father does. So, so is the martini your favorite drink? Is that what we're going to to uh, to infer yeah, from that story? Yeah, and it's kind of it, it. It's the whole experience. It's the glass. It's the the. It's a whole idea of it. In other words, I wouldn't drink them out of a plastic cup or something else. But thank you very. Kind of and do you have story. a favorite a favorite? Uh, uh, Favorite ingredient that goes in that? Is there a brand you like the best? Usually, martini drinkers like a certain yeah. type of. What do you? What's your favorite brand? Okay. 
Heard of that? Used to date somebody who liked Kettle One. We'll leave it at that. No more. And I'm not in New York anymore. So I'm waving to you from Durham, North Carolina, up the coast. Well, not exactly on the coast, but I'm waving to you, Robin. Thank you, Robin, for joining us. And now let's turn to Shay Jensen at Nordstrom. Shay, where are you today? What do you love to drink? And tell us a little bit about your role at Nordstrom. It's perfect for our topic today. Go ahead, Shay. Uh, I'm in Seattle, sitting above our uh, first store in one of our flagship stores, um, store number one, we call it, downtown Seattle. Um, Interestingly, I've been thinking a lot about my favorite drink, cocktail, cup of coffee, etc. And as recent as last night, I've landed on um, a bottle of wine called the Luke. And the reason that that's my favorite cocktail is I have a son named Luke. I have two boys. Luke is my younger son. He's about to turn 13. And um, I was reminded, as I was casually pouring it, have, about to have a conversation with Luke himself, that no matter where I go in terms of traveling and visiting other retailing or out in the marketplace, I often look for that bottle of wine because it's a tie to home and to my family. So I was reminded of that freshly last night. And so um, it's fitting that I share that. And in my role at Nordstrom, um, while the title seems and might sound somewhat ambiguous, customer experience at a company whose service, who places service at the core of what they do. Wow, that sounds like a lot. Really, mm-hmm. what I do is focus on identifying, um, prioritizing, and delivering experiences, capabilities, and programs to serve customers in what is an increasingly digitally connected world. And so in our stores today, we have programs like our Alterations and Tailoring Program or Nordstrom Personal Stylists that our team supports and runs and optimizes and at the same time, um, I spend a lot of time out in the market listening to customers, but also back home here in Seattle uh, trying to make sure we're delivering new capabilities um, to serve our customers in ways through things like mobile or um, digital experiences that um, come to life in our local markets where our customers live and work. Thank you, Shay. Very interesting. You must you must find every day exciting to be in your job, in your world. Am I right? Working for one of the world's biggest, longest retailers, being able to see all this from a vantage point of, of a successful corporation, but being able to observe and see what's happening. Uh, just let me ask a quick question before I talk to Matt. Is data key to what you do now, Shay, in terms of collecting data on where people are and how they're interacting with the stores and what types of uh, channels they're using and they prefer? Is data what you what you live with today? Yeah, first I would say absolutely. I am enthused, excited, and invigorated every single day. feels like a new job every day because of the mm-hmm. change that's happening. Um, and specifically to... To respond to your question, I think that we believe that data really helps us unlock personalization at scale. And a little earlier, I referenced the idea that that personalization used to come to life via a one-to-one interaction um, with the salesperson in one of our stores. And today, we know that our customers expect personalization no matter where, really, or when they're shopping. And data is a, a really big, important unlock to allow us to do that, no matter where a customer chooses to um, access one of our touch points, they expect that Nordstrom knows who they are. And it's because of data that we're able to um, work at delivering those experiences. Thank you very much. I'm tweeting a quote that you just said. I appreciate that. Matt Lakaitis, happy to have you back on the air. When was the last time you were on with me, Matt? And which series? Do you remember? 
Ooh, I didn't know there was going to be a test on this. On this, uh, <laughs> I can look you. I'll look it up. That's fine. We keep a record I, of I, everything. But tell me, uh, yeah. so what, what's new with you? And, and tell me where you are and what you love to drink. And then we can reminisce. All right. Well, I, I will uh, cut short the reminiscing and just say I can't remember exactly when it was and what we talked about, but I know we had a great time. So thank you for that. Thank you. Um, Today you found me, I'm on the road, as I usually am seeing our wonderful customers. I'm actually in Newport Beach, California. I'm on the uh, 12th floor of a building, and I'm looking out at the Pacific Ocean. So it's not a bad place to take the call. Not a bad at all. By the way, you were on with me August 22nd, 2016, and the quote you gave us on that show, the series was Digital Style, Reinventing the Fashion Business Model. Very interesting. And the quote you sent was Something Good is Just About to Happen by Pete Carroll. Do you remember that? I do. Yes, I do. Good. Yep. That was a polite answer. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. And what are you drinking? My, my quote ties in with my Invictus quote as well, because I'm, I'm somewhat guilty of being called an eternal optimist, uh, which I think is important for all of us for a lot of reasons. And my uh, favorite drink is a Manhattan on the rocks with some good bourbon. And I enjoy trying different bourbons as I travel around the country, having the opportunity to do so. Manhattan on the Rocks. That's a drink that goes way back, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yep. Okay, I'm looking. uh, My grandfather used to drink that, and uh, Uh, I somewhat rediscovered that about five years ago, and it's uh, an homage to him, much the the same way that Shay had talked about. She thinks about her sons um, when she has a glass of Luke. I also (laughs) think about my grandfather when I have a Manhattan, so it's a nice way to reconnect uh, with family when you're uh, out traveling. That's lovely. And in Manhattan, for those wondering around the world, it's a cocktail made with whiskey, sweet vermouth, and bitters. While rye is the traditional whiskey of choice, other commonly used whiskeys include Canadian whiskey, bourbon, blended whiskey, and Tennessee whiskey. And it has a maraschino cherry as a garnish and a dash of Angostura bitters and a three-quarters ounce of sweet red vermouth and two ounces of rye or Canadian whiskey. Stirred over ice, strained into a chilled glass, garnished and served up straight with or without ice. How do you prefer it, with or without ice? I prefer it with ice, and it sounds like you can make my Manhattan any time. It sounds like you know exactly how to do it. So. <laughs> oh, I just know all this stuff, Matt. I just <laughs> my brain is just full of cocktail trivia. I did you you just honor me. Thank you very much. It's Wikipedia. What can I tell you? Thank you to the three of you. Uh, Matt may remember this, and Shay and Robin have just met me, but they don't allow me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days, and I think you know why. So I'm drinking a cool, clear glass of water in a mug that I've carried with me from my travels in New York down here to Durham where I relocated nine months ago and uh, Shay and Robin I'm discovering what retail means in the south it's very 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 different and the funny part is if you go to a new shopping center and you put your name of your destination store into Alexa she will I'm sorry not Alexa into your your GPS whatever your map program is it will lead you to one of the entrances to this massive shopping area but it will never take you to the store directly so it'll say you are there you have arrived and you're looking at 50 to 100 storefronts with three layers of shopping of parking lots and aisles and rows and streets and you have no idea where you are just that you're somewhere in the vicinity so that's something that's going to need to have to change in terms of multi-channel get me to the store that's all I want to tell my GPS so there so we're having a very good debut here and again shout out to Stephen Sparrow 
at RetailBird. That's his Twitter name. Of course it is. And he's the one who put this panel together. We're talking today about retail state of the union, surviving in a radically changing industry. I have three experts on the topic. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be speaking a lot more with Robin Lewis of The Robin Report. Shay Jensen, if you want to look her up, S-H-E-A, Jensen, J-E-N-S-E-N, Nordstrom, and Matt Lakaitis at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to still be after the break. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. I promise we'll be back 90 seconds. Don't go away. Aaron out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Organizations that act with purpose can impact the greater social world. In doing so, they can also improve their bottom line, boost morale among employees, find it easier to attract top talent, and overall, make the world around them a better place. Purpose is everywhere, and we will help you align your organization to move forward with renewed purpose and vigor, enabling it to thrive in the short term and long term. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how purpose-driven organizations can lead to a better present and future for everyone. Game Changers with Purpose is presented by SAP. Visit SAP.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Listening to Game Changing Retail Leaders, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Game Changing Retail Leaders. Exactly, and we're back talking about the fate of retail, retail state of the union, surviving in a radically changing industry. Robin Lewis, Shay Jensen, and Matt Lakaitis are my special guests today. We're going to kick off the roundtable, although we've been really doing it, but the formal part of the show called the roundtable with a very provocative statement from Robin Lewis. I'm going to read it, and then he will expand it. Then we'll invite Shay to chime in and Matt. So here we go. Robin says, traditional brick and mortar have a huge advantage over pure play e-commerce models like Amazon. They can create social, community-like, compelling experiences. Conversely, if they do not, they will die. Sorry for the drama there, Robin, but I thought it was called for. <laughs> Robin, you know me by now, Robin. Robin Lewis, talk to me. What does this all mean to us? Well, have to be a little provocative, right? Um, yep. Yeah, in the, in the early 2000s, when... The Internet was really gaining traction, <clears throat> and even before the iPhone was launched, um, the, the, a great number of C-level and CEOs in the traditional legacy, uh, big department stores and you know, major traditional retailers, were extremely nervous about <clears throat> the Internet wiping them out. And so I had these conversations. I said, wait a second. You guys have a huge competitive advantage. 
One, you can compete on both playing fields, both online as well as in the physical world, and more importantly, in the physical world, in that physical platform, form, you can create awesome, compelling experiences that these e-commerce guys cannot. On the other hand, as I said, the, the, it, it, so it's a great opportunity, but it, it's also a necessity because uh, if, if, if you don't uh, reimagine those big buildings full of stuff mm-hmm. with some great experiences, human touch, and so forth, um, I don't think you're going to make it simply because, you know, the consumer today can scan more stuff on their iPhone in 10 minutes than they could mm-hmm. hanging out all day at the mall or shopping for hours <clears throat> in a boring big building full of stuff. So, so they say, why should I go to the mall or a store at all? So w- when they do go shopping, they are seeking, as I said before, a small, intimate, boutique personalized, cool places. Kind of like Starbucks third place where they can, they can hang out. And... By the way, they, they'll, they'll buy the cool stuff that is there. I mean, think Apple, uh, Lululemon yoga classes, and even the big guys, and I said this before, I know Nordstrom has a lot of initiatives going on uh, to turn their brand into a cool place, and they've always had a service element that, that most other retailers do not have, and so there's that human connection. But one of the things that stands out uh, it, it, that I've written about is, um, and out-of-the-box thinking, if you will, was uh, the fact that Nordstrom created uh, this model called Nordstrom Local, which um, at risk of missing some of the detail on it, I, I, would, I would ask Shay to you know, tell you what that's all about. So, but, but, so this is what the big guys can do. They can create spin-off ideas. They can create things within their store that make them more personal. Uh, my uh, comment before about the moms and the pops and the small retailers are going to be winners in the future, I'm saying, yes, they will be winners, and I think it's going to be easier for them than the big department stores, the big traditional stores, although I do believe there are <clears throat> some of the big traditional uh, legacy retailers who will make it, and they will create these wonderful experiences. So that's where I think the traditional guys have great opportunity. And you talk about personalization. Shay mentioned Mm -hmm. that. Um, And they're all getting at that. And I think Nordstrom, again, is kind of in the lead there. Thank you very much, Robin. Good intro to our first roundtable topic. Shay Jensen at Nordstrom. Robin has has, uh, summoned you, (laughs) and it's your turn. So why don't you comment, please, on this part of our conversation, Shay? Yeah, thanks, Robin. Um, you know, I think just to to pull it up uh, one notch um, and reference back to Robin's quote, the way that we really view our business and the way customers shop is is very much channel agnostic and that they expect a brand or their favorite retailer, if you will, to be a, a blend of on, offline, high-touch, low-touch, convenience, ease, access, um, or accessibility, um, again, where and when and how they would want it. And so our approach is really to, to look at our business through the lens of how our customers shop. And again, um, we've uh, been talking about this briefly, but to expand upon it, this idea of a local market strategy where 
we're able to serve customers in the markets where they're living, working, experiencing, as Robin mentioned, um, e- even if they're dining um, in, a, in a local market. And I think for us, it's about creating touch points to three core assets that we believe we are uniquely positioned and able to differentiate ourselves versus some other folks with, and that's our people. We talked about that a little bit earlier. Our people, we, we believe, are core to delivering great experiences, whether that's live in person in a store, like we have delivered traditionally, or through mobile devices um, and digital selling or service capabilities. Our product, really, which is, you know, we're, we're here to sell fashion, but mm-hmm. representing fashion in front of customers and creating more moments of discovery through channels, both digital and physical. Our stores provide a great opportunity for us to surface new fashion and relevant um, relevant ways to wear that fashion and inspiration to our customers. And then our places, and those would be our physical assets, really at the core of Robin's quote. Um, and we believe that the stores offer both um, a blend of discovery, but also of convenience and access to our product and sometimes our people. Um, Nordstrom Local, as Robin mentioned, is one of our newest physical assets. Um, and that is a single store that we've been testing um, down in Los Angeles on Melrose. And the idea here really was just how do we create more access to Nordstrom? In particular, how do we create access to our services, which we know our customers enjoy and like? But in Los Angeles in particular, getting around is hard. You know, And any mm-hmm. of you that have been to Los Angeles would acknowledge that drivability is a tough factor. And so... Uh, at Nordstrom Local, we're really trying to bring some of the highest demand and most popular services right to the neighborhood where our customers live. And so far, it's been really exciting to see how our customers respond. One of my favorite points of data regarding Nordstrom Local is that the mm-hmm. majority, in fact, 60% of our customers there actually live within two miles of that location. And that by really? far over indexes an average that we see in our stores. So this notion of localized service hub um, seems to be really resonating with our customers. Thank you, Shay. That's a good reality check and a case study there. Matt Lakaitis, love to hear you comment on what Robin started and what Shay added to. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, I think it's really, I think it's really important to uh, emphasize that, right? Because what people are craving is that authentic experience and they're actually, um, craving that locally with understanding of who that is, which brand that they're going to be working with, what that brand stands for at a global level, if it's a global company or a national level, if it's a U.S.-based company, but more importantly, what it stands for at the local level. And it's much more than just delivering a fantastic experience in the store. It's also what can be done in the community. And I think if you take a look at some of the leaders who are winning in the market, there's tremendous examples of that. Certainly Nordstrom which um, Shay's done a great job talking about the local, um, the local iteration. But they've also focused on that experience with a lot of the in-store experiences from you know, pop-up shops focusing on different areas with new designers that you might not discover otherwise. But there's other examples out there as well. We, we have a customer called Sports Basement up in San Francisco, and they very prominently focus on what they give back to the community. And it's a place where you can go buy sporting equipment, but a lot of the a lot of the parents come there to bring uh, their children there to get their outfits and their all their equipment that they need for the local sports they're playing. So they're very, very tied into the community. Uh, you take a look at somebody like a Tom Shoes, which in many ways pioneered mm-hmm. the B Corporation model of buy one, give one, and what they stand for. Consumers are smart enough now um, to understand all the information about a company that they might be doing business with, 
and that are passionate about doing business with someone that uh, has a purpose. And it really has an impact on uh, everything that the winners are doing in the market. And it's just a great opportunity for people to always constantly remember, what can I be doing to serve my local customer? What can I be doing to make her day better? And how can I continue to lead and set an example for other corporations and retailers and brands to do the same thing? Thank you, Matt. I'm intrigued. You mentioned her, and I'm noticing in Shay's note she sent me before the show, you talk about she, your customer, isn't interested in vanilla shopping experiences. Why? Just off the side here, because I'm going to move on to a topic from Shay's list, but why do we refer to retail shoppers as she? Shay, what's your thought on that? Well, we certainly know that we have men, male and female customers, but the majority of our customers are female. And so, you know, it's, I wouldn't say that's purposely intended, but the majority of our customers are female. But we, we um, as you guys know, or may not know, we did just open a men's store in oh, yeah. uh, New York City. It's our first foray into the market there. We're really excited about it. And definitely in that case, we would be referring to our customers as he. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, there you but, go. Thank you. I, I just thought it was interesting. I'm looking at the notes that I heard, Matt. Robin, you wanted to say something. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll just throw in a, 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 num- a number. Uh, across retailing, uh, fee- uh, women account for about 70% of all <clears throat> consumption in retail. Um, and they also influence, a lot of them are influencing their husbands or their boyfriends. So Inter- it, yeah. interesting. Okay, very very interesting. So the question is, who's got the wallet? Who's who's got the purse? Who's got the plastic? Who's got the bills? We'll leave that. Maybe that's a part two to the show. I don't know. Thank you. I want to move on, and and I've noticed something here interesting in your notes, Jay. You say to remain relevant in today's changing landscape, we are constantly evolving. So let's pull this back from just Nordstrom and let's look at retail in general, if you don't mind. Now, the question of constantly evolving makes me think who realizes, A, that they have to evolve and who is willing to evolve. Very often on our business shows, Shay, we talk about the, the, what's happening in the C-suite. Who are the leaders who say, wow, we better do something. Look, we're losing market share or our customers are fleeing to our competitors. So let's talk a little bit about the change aspect, change management, if you will. Who has to make the decision we need a new department or we need a new team or we need to get Shay more data or we need to, to get a data scientist on board or we need to expand the team and the IT department. Who makes the decision that you need to evolve to accomplish everything you've been talking about, Shay? Can you give us some insights from the corporate side, please? Yeah, I think, I think speaking on behalf of experiences here at Nordstrom and our customers really guide our decision-making. Um, so... We've, we've long felt that um, the customer is at the core of who we do, and I think more and more today it's, re- it's, it's our responsibility as at leaders, really at any level, to make sure we are um, staying close to the customer or at least um, uh, being attuned to what's happening out there. And so in terms of decisions about what we need to do or where we need to be, it always starts and ends with the customer for us. Our prioritization... Um, any testing that we do is um, is always rooted in the idea that we're getting feedback from our customers, et cetera. And um, I, I, I am very confident in telling you that at least within the walls at Nordstrom, it's less about a headquarter-based decision and more about a customer-centric decision. Mm, interesting. What about people who have been there for a long time? Do they understand that? Do they see that? You know, there's an old phrase, the customer is always right. Is that, is that a mantra yeah. that has survived over the decades? 
You know, I, I think that it's important. Well, I could be one of those people that has been here a long time, and I would say that absolutely I do. We are at our best when we are guided and driven by the customer. So absolutely, I think it rings true here. Thank you very much. Matt, I'd love to have you chime in. You have a lot of a lot of viewpoint, a lot of touch points with people in retail. So what do you see? Do you agree about evolving? Do you think do you think it has to come from the C suite? Do you think it comes from perhaps uh, salespeople saying, Wow, we're really not cutting it here. We really gotta do something. Let's kick this upstairs and get some more data support. Where does it come from, Matt? Well, I think it's a combination. So I think the the majority of the people who can successfully make these changes and make these transitions and have an impact on their consumers and therefore thrive in this market are ones that certainly have their fingers on the pulse of the consumer. So the description Shay talked about in terms of really understanding the the people and what's going on in the stores is a big component of that. But certainly there has to be buy-in and decision-making at the executive level to allocate capital, allocate resources, understand the impact of doing one particular project that might be new and what that means for the other projects within the organization. And this is where uh, we see a separation in the market. We, we call it the execution gap because it's the ability for companies to say, uh, not only make the decision, but then actually affect the decision in a way that's going to positively impact the company. And what's interesting is our research has shown that um, many of these customers, many of these boards are struggling with understanding how they can make a decision and have it be implemented very quickly because all of these projects tend to be very new to organizations, right? Only, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago when e-commerce came out, there's still a lot of people that are trying to figure out what the new capabilities and how they implement new experiences, what does that mean for a, for a consumer, what does it mean for a company to be able to fulfill that and make sure the customer is not ever let down anywhere in their experience. But what we're seeing is there's a big gap, again, we call it the execution gap, between companies that are able to set a direction and then companies that are able to take that direction and actually put it in practice in a way that positively impacts the consumer. Thank you, Matt. Robin, I'd love to get you to chime in on this. And actually, Matt, that was where I was going to go in your notes on my next topic around the table. So thank you for introducing that. Robin, talk to us about about decision-making, about observing the market, and what do you do about making changes? Go ahead. Well, I think what Matt just said is, is spot on, uh, and, and the execution gap is, is a great way of defining uh, one of the biggest challenges out there. There's just a tremendous amount of, uh, first of all, most of the CEOs out there, of these old legacy retailers, they're smart. They're all very smart, and most of them get it, okay? They may have been a little mm-hmm. slow in, okay. in understanding how powerful the new consumer and technology is going to be and how quickly it would take them or force them to move towards this new world. So the execution gap is a great thing. So they're understanding more and more what needs to be done, but to execute, implement it is just enormously uh, complex for all of them. And not only is it complex, it is... It's a process that, that you know, they, they need speed more than ever today to, to, to get into the new world. Because if they don't, they're going to have all these little speed boats around them that are technology-driven, and they're going to, you know, chomp away at share of market and their share of market. So, you know, I talked to them, and 
they say, first of all, they have to invest billions of dollars to make these changes. Mm-hmm. I mean, Target's a great example. They said, well, by the way, and I'm going to say this, even though Shay's on here, I know the Nordstroms, and they're unbelievable. One of the reasons they want to go private is because they know they have to do things, and they, and, and they don't want to be under the, the, the pressure of Wall Street for quarter after quarter increase in numbers. So I'm ram- rambling a little bit here, but, but the point is that, that this is one of the greatest challenges of all, and, of course, Matt knows it because SAP's on top of it. And, um, you know, one of the CEOs said to me, we've got to spend billions of dollars. Uh, but, you know, every day we see a new technology, and one of the part of the angst is which one of these technologies do we spend millions and billions of dollars on when next week there might be a new one? So you've got all of that going on. And um, so, but that's where great leadership comes in. And, and the, the CEO of Target was willing, was able to say that we're going to invest $3.5 billion next year on t- uh, technology and making these changes. Therefore, our margin is not going to be what it used to be. Mm-hmm. Our return on invested capital will go up. Anyway, that very day when he made the announcement, their stock dropped 25% or something like that. Wow. So, okay. yeah. Yep. Okay, I want to, let me see, I'm looking at the clock here. We're just about at our predictions round. Uh, I just want to get one more point in, Matt, from your notes here. Uh, I want to make sure we, we're clear on this. You say having an awareness of your identity as a company is equally as important as what you do. So, Matt, just why don't you just give us uh, 60 seconds or so, and then I'm going to circle around to Robin and then Shay and then you for your predictions. But what does this mean in terms of an awareness of your identity when a company is trying to keep their finger on the pulse of the customer? And as Shay said, the customer is what drives their decisions on prioritization and features and, fa- and uh, testing and all of that. Uh, how do you keep your identity if the customer maybe keeps moving what they want? How do you keep your identity, or does the identity morph too? Matt, what's your observation? Well, I really think that's all about culture, right? Because mm-hmm. culture, uh, you know, there's, a, there's an old saying. I can't remember who, uh, where to attribute this quote, but the saying was, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Um, but it's really all about culture. And, and when you take a look at uh, the execution gap, there's been research by Harvard Business Review did a, a published study that says that uh, only 8% of top leaders – in large companies and, and really strategic companies, you would think about only 8% are very effective at both strategy and execution. So that's a very small, dismal number when you think about it. But then if you take a look at going down another level and just looking at the digital experience, uh, there was a study by MIT that basically said uh, 55% of employees felt that their leaders were capable of delivering or, or setting a strategy, a digital strategy. So 55% believed in the digital strategy, but only 41% felt that they were able to execute it successfully. So mm-hmm. to me, that, that goes to culture. It goes to how do you arm your people with skills and data and insights that they need to be able to execute that. And that's what we spend a lot of our time doing and, and talking about with our customers. Thank you very much. Just a quick sidebar here. I'm trying to get some ceramic tile put into the patio here in my new house, into the screen <clears throat> porch. 
I visited a big box store. I gave them my $35 measurement deposit. They sent a gentleman who arrived on time, measured the porch. I was told I would receive a robocall. In 48 hours, I signed a special digital signature line on his iPad to give them permission. It is now one week later. I have had to call them. I was transferred from person one to person two to person three. They told me there was a problem. They couldn't figure out. They couldn't solve it. They said it was the tile I picked, and nobody will talk to me. I'm about to ask for my $35 back and take it to another store. To me, Shay and Robin and Matt, this is unforgivable in today's environment of competition from store to store. Am I right? Just a quick yes or no. Robin? Oh, yes. Absolutely. Unforgivable. No, Nobody knows what's going on. I had to call three separate numbers and tell my story to three people. Here we are. We're time for predictions now, so let's talk about is it going to get better? Retail State of the Union surviving in a radically changing industry. Robin Lewis at the Robin Report. I've got exactly 60 seconds for you, no more than that. Tell me your prediction and how far in the future you want to look. Robin, go ahead. Okay, here goes. <laughs> First of all, uh, I, and I don't know when this end game is going to be, but but here's here's what I see. Uh, first of all, there are going to be two types of products and services, uh, needs, commodities, um, and the other would be what I call dreams or what consumers are desiring. And the distribution of these two, uh, the distribution of needs will be in three ways. One, online to your front door or into mm-hmm. your house in a matter of hours. And it will be through voice and video commerce. Siri and Alexa and video will be living with you. The second way the needs will be distributed will be through predictive predictive commerce. Amazon already mm. knows when you need a new light bulb, and it will appear on your porch. Um, and, and part of that is subscription-based businesses like Stitch Fix because they get the down to the rock bottom of personalization, which Shay was talking about, and they get to know exactly what you want, and they'll send you stuff every month. Uh, the last, in which I think is kind of, you know, Star Trek. At some point, we will all have 3D printers, and mm-hmm. those things that we need, we'll be able to print them out. Now, the second... <clears throat> Robin, I need to cut you, darling. I have 90 seconds to finish the show, and I want to give some prediction time to Shay and Matt. So forgive me, please. Shay Jensen, you're up. 45 seconds. Go ahead, please. Okay. Um, I would first start by saying we are certainly not in the business of predictions, but if there's one thing that we know, it's that the pace of change is going to continue to, to accelerate and that there's really three primary drivers of what our customers expect, and those would be convenience, transparency, and control. And convenience, by the way, can be across a spectrum of low or high touch. Transparency, our customers expect to be informed every step of the way. And ultimately, again, with the impact of many choices um, in the market, they want to be in control of their experience. Thank you very much. Matt, I save 30 seconds for you. All yours. Go ahead. Great. Thank you. I think Robin Mm -hmm. kind of described it earlier as back to the future. I'm going to say everything old is new again. And what I mean by that, if you take a look at in the next three years at who you would consider the top 100 brands or successful retailers in the market, I would say 100% of those brands would have a very well-identified immersive strategy of delivering a one-on-one personalized experience. So gone are the days of just a mass experience for people when they hope you come in and buy something. This is scale through appeal to a unique individual consumer. 
Thank you very much. I love Robin's prediction that we're all going to have a 3D printer. Robin, I can't wait to print my food, print my lipstick. I know somebody at Harvard tried to do that a couple of years ago, a young student. Uh, she never quite got it done, I don't think, but she talked about it, and she had a model. Very interesting. I had people with a 3D printer on my TV show in New York one night. It was this big monster, and they printed me a cup holder for my pencils. That's all I'm going to say. Thank you very much to our three wonderful panelists. This has been the debut of Game Changing Retail Leaders. We'll be back every third week, but we're having more series in this time slot. So I'm going to give my call to action and shout out to Aaron, our engineer, World Talk Radio. Thank you, Aaron. We're almost done. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? Make it a fashionable seatbelt. That'll be the day we can print that, Robin, right? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Robin. Never thought about that. Just like Robin Lewis at the Robin Report, just like Shay Jensen at Nordstrom, and just like Matt Lakaitis at SAP. Shout out again to Stephen Sparrow, our retail bird. Have a great day, everyone. I'll be back tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. with another live show on something here on the Business Channel. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Game Changing Retail Leaders, presented by SAP. The best run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.